recording live. Glad you guys are here tonight. Let me uh, let me pray as we get started in Ecclesiastes tonight. Dear Father, thank you for your word and for your church. Thank you for your spirit. And uh, I pray that those three things would come together right now to speak to us, um, reveal to us where we are um, blindly leaning on things that, um, that can never fully satisfy us, that can never fully bring purpose or meaning to our lives. Um, give us that mercy to help us see where that is happening and help us to be called more to the gospel and more to you through this. And I ask you that in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. All right, um, so we have been in Ecclesiastes for the last, I mean, it's kind of weird because we've had some breaks off and stuff with the fall break, but um, two weeks total we've been talking through Ecclesiastes now. This is our third week, and um, what we see in Ecclesiastes is a talking about the many ways in which people seek to find meaning or purpose in this world, and and. Uh, and we keep seeing this phrase pop up over and over again, vanity in your ESV or maybe meaningless in your NIV. We've said that that word is vapor, um, meaning something just a little different than both of those. Something that looks like you can grab a hold of it, um, but you can't and doesn't last very long. And that describes all of these things. Last week, we talked about wisdom and the pursuit of meaning and the pursuit of significance and substance and purpose in life through wisdom and how even that, something that the Bible lifts up as um, an amazing thing in wisdom, even that becomes vapor and does not satisfy or bring the purpose that we desire. Um, tonight we're talking about uh, the seeking of purpose and meaning through pleasure and, and trying to find ourselves and find our deepest joy through uh, pleasure. In some ways this is, even the, the writer, Koheleth, or the teacher or preacher, whatever you want to call him, describes this as, as sort of the opposite of wisdom. He kind of, he plays this in between two sections. We read two sections on wisdom last week. This one, pleasure, falls right between them. And he kind of plays them like two ends of the spectrum. So I sought to do what was wise. I sought to grow in my knowledge, in my wisdom. Um, and I also tried to jump into what he calls folly or foolishness, kind of acting like an idiot and giving myself over to all of these things in the world. And, uh, and so that's what we get to look at a little bit tonight is what happens when you swing the pendulum the other way and, and run after um, pleasure in all its many forms. Chapter 2. Sorry, I should have been there already. Chapter 2, and we're starting in verse 1. It says this, I said in my heart, Come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. Now, though we don't know this for sure, we've talked about this. Traditionally, the writer has been said to be Solomon. Um, because of some statements that, may, that he makes that sound like he may be Solomon, and because a lot of the ways he describes his life sound like Solomon. And, and we, we've kind of mentioned, we don't know for sure. Um, it's not quite as solid as some people would want to say, and, and there, there's some good reasons for believing it's him, and some good reasons for not. We don't know, but we do know this. Um, regardless, it does seem like um, the writer that Koheleth is trying to, if it's not Solomon, he's trying to put us in Solomon's shoes. Um, we saw this verse um, last week, chapter 1, verse 12. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, 
And, and at the beginning of chapter 1, said the words, or chapter 1, verse 1, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. And so there's this idea, he, he, he seems to be setting himself up as a Solomon-like character. And the reason he's doing this, we mentioned, is because he, he wants us to know, again, whether it's Solomon or wanting us to put us in that shoes, he wants us to see that we're talking about someone who has endless access to the things that he's trying to explore. Solomon being the kind of the, the supreme kind of uh, character of wisdom that is held up in the Bible as this person with amazing wisdom given by God and knew all these things. And we also see in the Bible that Solomon is lifted up as someone who sought pleasure to the nth degree. Um, and, and had access to it. There's this uh, passage, there's a number of things that kind of describe it. I'll just read one here in 1 Kings uh, verse, or chapter 4. Um, in verses 20 through 23, this is kind of a summary statement of the kingdom of Israel, of Judah and Israel's time when Solomon was reigning. It said this, chapter 4, verse 20, Judah and Israel were as many as the sand by the sea. They ate and drank, and were happy. And Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms, from the Euphrates to the land of the Philistines, and to the border of Egypt. They, all those, all those lands, brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. And then it says this, Solomon's provision for one day was 30 cores of fine flour and 60 cores of meal, 10 fat oxen and 20 pasture-fed cattle, 100 sheep besides deer, gazelles, roebucks, and fattened fowl. For he had dominion over all the region west of the Euphrates, from Tifsath to Gaza, over all the kings west of the Euphrates, and he had peace on all sides of him. And so it says, Solomon's reign was kind of characterized by, not just for him, but for the rest of the country, eat, drink, and be merry. Life is good. And it goes off and it lists his provision for the day. This is what was used to feed Solomon and his palace and his servants and workers for the day. And it lists all those things. 30 cores of flour means nothing to you, right? Oh, 30 cores. That's a lot of cores. Um, <laughs> like, I know that means nothing. But, but when, when actually when people read this and they do like the math and do the work, and literally I kept finding different commentaries because I kept going, that cannot be right, that cannot be right. Uh, people say this would be enough to serve uh, 14,000 people three solid meals for the day. Um, and so 14,000 people. And, and we don't know, maybe this is an exaggeration, but, but probably he's feeding, obviously, again, not just himself, but it says that he gathers unto himself tons and tons and tons of servants and slaves. He has, um, he has, well, we'll get to his, how many wives and concubines and all that here in just a second. But um, he, so, so it, he has all these people in his palace that he's feeding. And more than likely, he's, he's providing way more food than anybody needs. They're eating to excess. They're enjoying things to excess. And so this may not be, this, this, there's a very real chance that he really is bringing in enough food to feed 14,000 every day. We know that he surrounded himself with beauty and luxury, with multiple castles or houses in different places and houses that he would build for 
wives and and he had houses that were full of these shields with, that were just gold-plated all over. And he had one throne that was made entirely of ivory and then plated with the finest gold all over it. And so we see that he surrounds himself with beauty and with these incredibly luxurious things. First um, Kings 10 tells us that he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. 700 wives and 300 concubines. Just that right there, plus kids, could, starts moving you fairly close to that 14,000 mark when they start. If all of them are having kids, um, then that, that, gets to be, that gets to be a lot of people there. And, and so he surrounds himself, again, in the 700 wives and concubines is a description of the vast pleasure that Solomon sought out and the vast wealth and stuff he had access to. And so again, whether this is Solomon or Koheleth, it's saying, listen, what I'm about to explain to you, because the, the primary thought with a lot of these things when it comes to things like pleasure or wealth or whatever, money, those kinds of things, the primary thought is the reason it's not fulfilling you is because you don't have enough of it. Like, like what you need is just a little bit more. Well, we say money can't make you happy, but I mean, dude, if you had like a million dollars, that would, let's be honest, that would probably make you happy. You're not happy because you're struggling to pay the rent. But if you, had, if you had plenty more money, that would make you happy. And this is the idea here is to say, listen, no, no, we're not talking about a limited supply of pleasure. We're talking about everything you could get your hands on. And that in and of itself, he starts off, the writer says, I went after wisdom and the very next sentence. And that was vanity. He doesn't leave us guessing or wondering how that went. Even that is vanity. Verses 2 and 3. I said of laughter, it is mad or crazy, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. Now, he's not, when he says, I, I looked at uh, laughter and said that that's crazy, that's mad, that's ridiculous. He's not dogging joy. He's not saying joy is a worthless thing, but he is dogging this um, an overly light-hearted view of life that fails to take seriously the reality of life and, and, and the hardship that is there and the death that is there, the, the, the tendency to try and just um, look bleakly or look past the bleak things of life and just try and have fun. That, he says, is wrong and worthless. And he says this, that I tried to cheer my body with wine. Now, he may be describing like an, an over-involvement in that. He may be describing drunkenness um, to go on the end there. But it may simply be, and I kind of think it may be this, when he says I tried to cheer my heart with wine, he, he may not be talking about drunkenness or, or parties like crazy. He may just be saying like with the finer things in life, with choice wine, with good food, um, I went after those things. And, and one of the reasons I believe this is because of what he says um, right after that. Um, I tried to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom. Um, so he, he seems to be saying with that phrase, yes, I jumped all in. Trust me, I jumped all into pleasure and entertaining myself. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't with the purpose of trying to distract myself or to forget, no, I leaned in with objectivity and intentionality. I'm going to see this all the way through and see if this can really give me what I want. 
And so he seems to, even as he jumps into what he calls foolishness, hold some degree of wisdom, some degree of objectivity so that he can actually evaluate what this is and how this is affecting him or not affecting him. Verse 4, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. Um, Here we see that um, when, when we talk about pleasure, we tend to think in terms of what we call kind of worldly things. The party lifestyle, gluttony, drunkenness, orgies, those kinds of things. But Solomon says it does seem like he moved towards a, a fair amount of some of that stuff. But Solomon says, I'm not just talking about like the dirty things. I'm not just talking about the worldly things. He says, like I sought it through surrounding myself with aesthetically pleasing things, with beautiful gardens, with vineyards with monuments that I built around me, things that are, things that are good and beautiful. Um, I surrounded me with those things. I grew these amazing, delicious trees with uh, delicious fruit to eat off. I was eating good food. And, and so he throws that in there as well. Um, it, it was actually, this is kind of standard um, for most kings back then. Two things that were really important for, um, for kings. I say two things. There were a number of things, but... Two of the major ways that kings showed their superiority and their great power was A, conquering other nations, and then B, kind of crazy, but growing amazing gardens, Um, like cultivating the earth because one shows power over man, one shows power over nature. And and it it was even more, it was even uh, a greater thing if you could actually conquer nations and then take their like native plants and figure out a way to grow them in your own land. And kings would brag about how these plants grow better in my land than in the land I conquered even. And that kind of stuff is a way of just saying, like, I, 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 can, I can kind of control everything. I can make everything work the way I want it to work. And Solomon is known, it even says in First and Second Kings, or First Kings, that he has like amazing kind of knowledge of, of horticulture and of growing things, things like that. Verse 7 I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. And so here he is describing many of his great possessions, which leads us, which kind of overlaps into wealth which we'll be getting to either next week or the week after that, be talking about um, wealth. Um, But he's also describing, when he talks about getting lots of slaves into his life, uh, into his house, he's describing a life of comfort and ease. Um, He's describing convenience. That like, in a day where other people cleaned their own stuff, Solomon said, everyone else takes care of that for me. They were other people looked after their own kids. Solomon says, I got people to do that for me. And so he's describing, like, I, I engaged in a life of comfort and ease. These are things, actually, um, that we um, clamor for like crazy in our world today. Comfort and ease and convenience. And technology is always trying to move us toward the least amount of effort. Um, 
towards what works the easiest and what works the best for us. We don't have people to clean around our house, slaves like Solomon, but we have things like automatic dishwashers and microwave dinners and online shopping. Right? I don't even have to leave my home to get the goods that I need into my own house. And what's crazy is these things are not perceived anymore as pleasures or as luxuries as much as necessities. Like who lives in a house without an automatic dishwasher? That's somebody to wash, something to wash your dishes for you. Yeah, I mean, poor college students, I know. Okay. Um, uh, which is why they're just stacked up in your sink right now as we speak, right? Um, but, like, nobody, nobody builds a house and doesn't put a dishwasher in it. Um, and, and, you know, these kinds of air conditioning, things like that, indoor plumbing. Like, we always talk about, uh, there's that kind of discussion starter question, if you could live in any period of history, where would it be? And it's always kind of a fun game to, to think about for a second. Oh, the 1920s seems so romantic or, or the whatever, back in the days of the Renaissance, all the things. And then you start thinking about like, yeah, but they didn't have any air conditioning, right? They didn't have, they didn't have like toilets in your house. And, and, and every time my answer ends up being, never mind, 2016, well, maybe not 2016, 2015 or 2017, I would live in one of those years because these things that, that, that many parts of the world um, many times in history and many parts of the world today consider luxuries and pleasures are, ne- are necessities for us. We know what it's like to chase after pleasure in this way. And he says, I acquired for myself many singers read for us Netflix. Okay? <laughs> I acquired for my, like he's talking about entertainment. Um, like I acquired for myself, inter- there is joy and pleasure to be found in entertainment. And, and we are a culture and we are a land that knows that well. Um, a land bombarded in entertainment and that lives for entertainment. And he says, I, I, I acquired that for myself. Um, he says, We've, uh, I brought in many concubines um, to, to, to bring, he says, the delights for all this, of the sons of men. Um, and you think about this for a second, uh, again, in a day where, um, where many people believe that that sex runs to the core of who we are as human people, that it is at, um, at the very heart of what it means to be human to the point that, as, we talked, as we've talked about and Scott kind of mentioned on, to deny someone the sexual lifestyle that they want is, is seen as denying them their very identity, um, is seen as denying them a fundamental human right. Solomon, um, not to get crazy crass with her, but Solomon has the ability to be with a different woman every day for two and a half straight years without coming back to the same woman twice. Um, Two and a half years every day and says, worthless. Like this, this This didn't get me what I wanted. This didn't get me anywhere I wanted to be or where I wanted to go. Verses 9 through 11. So I became great. It surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vapor. 
and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Here we see a summary of it all. I ran after all of this, and it didn't give me anything. Again, we see a bleeding here with another topic that we're going to talk about. He says toil, but that is work. Giving my life towards um, accomplishing things, towards doing things, towards moving forward and leaving a, a legacy of something behind. And, and we're going to talk more about that in the coming weeks. Um, but he says, there's nothing I kept from myself, nothing in the world, anything my heart desired, I went after it, but none of it brought substance or meaning to my life. Pleasure um, may be, the, uh, of all the things we're going to talk about, it's tough. Every time we come to a new topic on this, I go, man, this really hits home with us. Um, but pleasure may be one of the biggest ones for our generation. I was just reading, there are a lot of studies about millennials, and, and uh, one of the things that's becoming pretty pretty fairly well known amongst people who are trying to sell to millennials is that millennials do not value stuff quite as much as like the generations before them. Millennials value above stuff experience. Um, millennials travel a whole lot more. Millennials want really awesome food, not to eat it, but to take pictures of it um, and tweet about it or whatever, put it on Instagram. Right? Millennials, millennials want to be able to say they did this stuff. They want to jump into all the things that might entertain or impress or please my heart or my longing for something kind of bigger outside of myself that I can experience. Um, we know what it is to run after these. And Solomon ran after it in good food and in um, plenty of comforts in aesthetically th uh, pleasing things, in beauty. He ran after it in sex. He ran after it in all the ways you could think to run after it. Here's the question. In what ways does the like, modern college student do that? How specifically, like we don't, we don't, I hope, nobody in here is gathering hundreds of concubines to themselves <laughs> or, or many slaves to serve them. We don't, we don't do those kinds of things. Um, we're, we're past... We're past those days, building massive gardens to look cool. So what does it look like, though, for a college student to chase after pleasure in, in all the different forms that life may bring to it? We'll get back in just a couple minutes and scout. All right. So like, like, uh, like Drew said, this, the teacher, which is, if you weren't here a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago, in verse one, chapter one, verse one, it says the preacher. That word in Hebrew is koheleth, and and uh, and so the preacher, the teacher, is the one whose perspective that we are gaining, and we believe that at some level, at, at a very real level, it's it's Solomon's perspective. Whether it's him or not, we don't know for sure. But but he's he's seeking after these pleasures of the world, and and if you notice, like what what Drew said is he's diving in. He 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 fully dives in while maintaining his objective. Okay, and so his objective is, is, okay, can I, can I chase after these, these pleasures, the pleasures of this world, can I chase after those in such a way that they bring, that they bring fulfillment to me in a way that helps me, like, somehow get control of life? Uh, if you remember the, the illustration of this, like, vapor and mist, that's what this word vanity, or depending on what translation you have, meaningless, the word literally is the word for vapor. And it's this idea that Koheleth is saying, when I try to, when I try to grab a hold of life and, and make something of it and control it, it's like trying to grab, grab vapor 
and manipulate it and make it do what I want. As soon as I grab it, it just kind of disappears in my hand. Um, and so, so when he's saying he, he's looking after these pleasures of this world to somehow control life, what he's saying is, okay, if I find out that, um, what does he say? Like building gardens, okay, and, and having lush gardens and, and beautiful things and creating things. If I find some sort of secret to life, then I'm going to do that the rest of my life, and I'm going to get the I'm going to control life in that way. I'm going to get the most out of life by doing that. So I, so I'm going to chase after that. And if it's not that, then I'll chase after, you know, laughter and wine and, and lots of friends. Can you imagine the parties that he would have? Okay, and, and the and the laughter that would have filled his castles, and all the wine and all the food and all the and 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 if he and if he somehow he's chasing after this is his objective. If I if I can do this in a way that somehow brings fulfillment to my life. And, and meaning and purpose that is, um, that is somehow the answer to life, then I found it. I'm just going to do that the rest of my life. Or if it's, if it's uh, entertainment, or if it's possessions, silver and gold, or if it's sex, whatever it is, if I find it, then, I, then I'm, then I'm going to do that. I'm going to basically take life by its hands. I've figured life out. This is the answer, and I'm going to do that. That's, that's his way of saying... I want to try to control life. And so he seeks after pleasures. And what he, he says right at the very beginning in verse 1 is, it's vanity. It's like shepherding the wind. It, it, this, it's chasing the wind. It's this idea of trying to harness and, and make the wind do what you want it to do. And the wind just kind of blows where it wants. So, so he sets out to do this. But notice what the way he does it. Okay, this is, the, this is what really jumped out at me. Twice in our text, it talks about how he held on to wisdom, or he kept, he, he, he um, how's it worded? Uh, my heart still guided me with wisdom in, in verse 3. And then, uh, where is it at? Verse 9, yeah. And all, also my wisdom remained with me. So, so this is what I picture him doing. Somewhat of a social experiment. Okay? So he has the perspective that, that he's going to chase after these things. He's got, he's got, a, he's got endless resources. He's got, he can do anything he wants. And so he's going to kind of, in a somewhat of a social experiment, try these out. And spend, spend enough time that however long it takes to figure out if this is the answer, he does it. So think about the time it would take to build gardens, to build forests, to build reservoirs, to water the forests. I mean, we're talking, I mean, how, I don't know how long. Years at, at minimum, right? So, so he's, he's figuring these things out. And he's doing it somewhat as scientifically or somewhat of a social experiment. And, and what I can't help but think is, like, is that how you guys chase after pleasures? Like when you, th- when you talked about College student, what the, the pleasures of this world that college students chase after? Do you think most people are doing it as like a social experiment? That they're trying to, they're they're gonna, they're going. You know what? I'm trying to get, to get the most. I'm trying to discover life's secret, and so I'm going to try this for a while, and then when that doesn't work, I'll stop doing that and I'll try this. And when that doesn't work, I'll stop doing that and I'll try something else. Or is there is there like some Something motivating people to chase after the pleasures of this world. Now, one thing we, we got to kind of maybe get, get off this, the table 
is um, when, when, when you hear the word pleasure in today's context, what's, what is it typically associated with? Yep, it doesn't even take long to answer that one. So here, there's a general idea that we're talking about, okay? And, and one on side note, which doesn't have anything to do with, is, like, that's pretty sad, that when we hear that word, that's what we think we're describing. That tells you a little bit about how saturated we are with that topic. But anyway, um, so, but that's, that was what's interesting to me, is, is that that's not really how we do it. That's not how I, like, I didn't, at, 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 12 or 15 or 18 or 25, you know, I didn't, I wasn't doing a social experiment at 12 years old. Mm -mm. No, I, I, I was caught up in something. Um, there was something motivating me. There was a deeper desire, longing, hurt, a pain, maybe believing a lie, maybe some form of, you know, as I look back on now with a greater perspective, with more spiritual depth, I look back and go, yeah, there was some form of a lie that I believed, or some, there, there was something motivating that, or, or it was idolatry, or self, self-centeredness. You know, there was something that was, that was motivating me. And so I, I really, there's two things I want to talk about with, with this idea of, of life's pleasures. Okay, My two, two things. One of them is this. There is something driving your desire. There's something driving my desire for life's pleasures. And... It's not what you think. It's not what you think. So let me ask you a question. Why, why do we do things we know we shouldn't do? Or, why don't we do things that we know we should? Okay, so think about that. And if, if you've been around little kids for any, any, any time, maybe especially... Age one, one and a half, two, you know, at the time where they can't really talk and communicate, but their actions really speak loudly. Um, so, you know, I have three kids, and all of them did this, but the obvious one to talk about doing this is Trace, <laughs> and so my youngest son. So, so, you know, he has this uncanny ability to want to wanna test every boundary and he wants to know exactly what's the, what's the, show me, tell me what's going to happen when, now that he's old enough to communicate. What's going to happen when I cross this boundary? What happens if I don't do what you ask me to do? What are you going to do? And he's like weighing his options. So I'll, I'll tell him, okay, listen, stop, stop hitting your sisters. That's the constant one. Stop hitting your sisters. He just can't walk by without just punching them, running into them, tripping them, doing something. He just has to be... Like somehow let his let everybody know his presence is here, and and so stop doing okay. And then he'll say, and what happens if I don't? Uh, and so my first temptation is to say, I'm going to cut off your arm. I'm going to chop your leg. I don't know. I'm not going to feed you for a month. I mean, I I want to just I want to do I want to say something that is so extreme that he'll be like, <gasps> and then I realize he'll he'll test me in that though. Like he really will. Okay, go ahead. Um, but when he was younger, when he was younger, he would, he would, he would do this. And so, you know, I, I, there's a million examples. So I, to me, they all run together as, as him just, okay, don't touch that. Okay, very simple. Don't touch that. You touch that again, you're going to get a spanking. I mean, he'll just, 
touch it. And then he couldn't talk, so we would smack his hand, right, or something. And uh, he would look at us, and then he, the lip would start quivering. And then he would start crying. And then as he's crying, he would look at us and... <laughs> it's almost like in his head, I got to do it again. I don't know. There's something in me. And, and so, like, I, it's not that he didn't know, right? He knew, he knew what not to do. And he, he chose to do it anyway. So, it, so think about you. Think about why don't you, uh, let's say, you put off homework longer than you should, or you don't, do the, you don't spend the adequate time, or you don't study for the test, or you don't do the paper, or you wait till the last minute. You, you do things like that all the time that you know, that's not, I, I could have done, I chose to watch Netflix instead of do this. I, I should have done, that would have been more s- smart, and, and I would have got better, and I wouldn't be so tired, right? So you, you choose to do things you know aren't good for you. Think about um, food. Think about wh- why you ate what you ate when you knew you shouldn't, like you you had an extra helping of pumpkin pie at Thanksgiving, and it's just like, it took you over the edge, and now you're sick, but you just, you just did, did it anyway, you know? Or you, you, you're angry, and you know you shouldn't just talk whenever you're angry, because things come out that you don't, you know, you don't want to say, and, but you, you don't care. You're just going to do it anyway, and then you regret it later. Or you, you click on that link that you know you shouldn't click on, that you Google those images, you know you shouldn't look up, and you just, something, so if, if we were to sit down and go, okay, so did you know not to do that? Yeah. So why'd you do it? I don't know, you know? So imagine going to a doctor, and your doctor says, um, after, you know, 20 years of never being healthy, never making wise choices with your body, and, and says, did you know about eating healthy and exercising? Did you know about that? I mean, your doctor's not going to be like, hey, um, by the way, I'm sorry, someone should have told you 20 years ago. This is what you should have done. No. The, people, the, reason, the, reason, the reason we do things that we know we shouldn't do or don't do things that we know we should is not because of education. It's not because of a lack of knowledge. Now, once in a while, that might be true, okay, but rarely. The things that we do that, that hurt us aren't because we don't have enough information. And, and you know, this is what really, the, the, when, when people say that education is like the answer to our world's problems, what we need is more education. Now, I believe that education is huge, and I think there's a lot of communities that, that need more of it and need high, more um, people dedicated to it, but it doesn't fix all problems. So what is it? Why is there a gap between what we know and what we do? And, and I think there's something here. There's a quote by Augustine that says, You have made us for yourself, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. It's that last part. Our heart is restless until it rests in you. Like somehow we were made for God, which Ecclesiastes says, we'll, we'll read about. Um, we were made for God, and, and our heart becomes restless until it rests in Him. Um, John Calvin talks about how our hearts are idle factories like they're constantly producing idols to worship and only God can really fill that that spot Jesus says it this way in in Mark 12 and in Matthew he tells us to love the Lord your God the greatest commandment right what's the greatest commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart 
with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. It's the greatest, it's the greatest commandment is to love, is to love God. Why? Again, because the biggest problem isn't our lack of knowledge. The biggest problem is that we, when, the reason we do something we know we shouldn't do is because we love something greater. We just, we do. In that moment, whatever it is, we love something greater. And sometimes it's little things that don't really matter. And at the other times it's big things that really do matter. So, um, our, our thinking minds aren't driving us. It's our longing hearts. Um, there's this book that our staff read this summer called You Are We Love by James Smith. And this way, he says it this way. He says it's less... Uh, he said, chasing after these things, and, and the things that we, when we do things we know we shouldn't do, it's, it's less curiosity and more hunger. It's less an intellectual puzzle to be solved, and more, a, more like a craving for, suds, for sustenance. Um, he says, you are what you love because you live toward what you want. So he talks about this, this Greek word, telos, which is this idea of an end goal or end vision. He says, all of us have one. All of us have a telos. All of us have a, an idea of what we want out of life and a direction that we're heading. And, and now, you guys are at a time in your life where you're, that's being defined, I think, and redefined probably on a regular basis. It's a really crucial time. Um, I think the, the older you get, the more, you, you might need more experiences uh, with yourself, honestly, to figure out what it is that you're, constantly chasing after, why you keep bumping into the same struggles and what it is that's driving those things. You might need more time to do that, but I would have a, have a pretty good idea that, that a lot of you still, you know at some level what that end goal is, what it is that you find yourself just kind of chasing after, that you have to kind of remind yourself, yeah, I, I shouldn't chase after that, but why do I keep, it's like a moth to a flame, why do I keep heading that direction? He says, you know, we have this we have this thing that we're heading towards and and it is guiding the the desires that we that we that we have it's guiding the um the things that we want and so i don't know what 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 your telos is i'm not here to define that for you i think you've got something you got to continue wrestling with or even to tell you what your specific um why you specifically chase after certain life's pleasures. You know, so I don't know what that is. But um, I believe the more you are aware of those things, the more it becomes, um, it'll help you be, be aware of what it is that you're really after. Um, so let me ask you a question. Uh, you know, when, when you... Or actually, this is a question that you can ask. Okay, this would be a question you can ask. What am I hoping to gain from this experience? Would be a question you can ask to kind of help determine why you keep finding yourself chasing after certain things. What What am I hoping to gain from this? What am I hoping to get from this experience? Drew said, "You guys are experience driven. Um, it's It's even in our worship. If you notice, if you notice worship twenty years ago to worship now." Or worship 40 years ago, 50 years ago to worship now. Worship 40, 50 years ago was, might seem boring to some, but in terms of, in terms of content, it was content heavy. And, the, and sometimes, the, now, there's songs, in the, there's songs in the hymn book that are just bad. 
<laughs> bad. Um, but they're songs that are really good, and they're theologically sound and driven, and, and, and yet they're sometimes put to boring music, and so we don't like it. Um, but, you, you know, I remember, you know, I'm old enough, I remember uh, the ger- generation ahead of me that was hearing contemporary Christian music and going, it's just, you guys are singing the same verse over and over and over. And they're used to four verses with, you know, rich theological overtones. And, um, but the worship, you know, just really kind of matches this desire for this experience with God. Um, but I'm convinced, so, so when you ask this question, what is it I'm hoping to gain from this? I'm convinced that when it comes to the pleasures of food, okay, or, or sex, or adoration, people liking me, or, or material possessions, or food, or sex, um, that you, you will never deal with why you struggle with what you struggle with until you can answer what you're hoping to get from it. It's, it's, it's when you can say, this is, what I'm, this is what I'm after. This is why I keep... Instead of going, no, 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 don't think about that anymore. No, 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 just stop doing that. Maybe, maybe you need to sit with God and go, God, why do I keep doing that? What is it I'm hoping to gain from that? What, is it my, what am I hoping to experience from that? And why? That would be a good question worth asking. Because I think when you can figure that out, you have a greater understanding maybe of, of what you're after in life. And so, um, again, ultimately what, what, I'm, what I want to do is just to help you start thinking and wrestling with some of these d- deeper things. Um, I, I did this series with a group of men called the 33 Series. It's kind of like a authentic manhood series and in one of the one of the sessions they talked about three idols that that they they could kind of say everything everything kind of points back to one of these three idols like all of the the sin and the temptation and the struggles that we have at some level point back to one of these three idols okay the, the three that they gave were control significance and comfort okay so maybe we'll talk about control and significance another time. But this is what they said. I thought this was really good. This is what they said about the, the deeper idol of comfort, okay? which I think Drew mentioned. This is, fits really right in line with, with seeking after life's pleasures. It says this, the lie. Here's the lie. The lie is, if I can just maintain a physical, physical ease or re- relaxation, if life can be just uh, laid back, if I can just keep away from stresses and responsibility, if I can just experience some pleasure or enjoyment in the moment, then, then life will be more fulfilling, easy, fun, or thrilling. That's, that's the lie with this deeper idol of comfort. And so the biggest fear is, is boredom and responsibility. Boredom and responsibility, and then what they, what they describe as functional heaven is... Pleasure and ease. So you have, you have boredom as like this deeper fear. So what, what, can, what can really pull me out of that? Pleasure. Because that, that'll help me with my boredom. And then with ease, or sorry, with, with responsibility. So responsibility is hard. So what would be functional heaven for that? Ease. I, wish, I just wish things were easier. I wish life was easy, comfortable, um, no pain. Always healthy. Everybody that's sick gets healthy right away. Never goes through anything difficult. So the ways it plays out is we avoid stress and responsibility. 
and we become constant consumers. And so I, I thought it was pretty insightful. Um, so I don't know. I don't know how to hit you. I, I think that's pretty insightful. But again, I don't think it's um, seeking after these players. I don't think it's what we think. I believe it's it's what we long for. It's it's, it's a it's a heart issue, not a head issue. The second point is this: that the gospel redeems pleasures to their rightful place and brings glory to God. So, if you think about uh, actually in, in Ecclesiastes five eighteen, turn turn there. So Kohelet, the 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 preacher slash Solomon slash whoever he is, um, he he uh, he says, and he'll do this a couple times. He'll talk about how ah pleasure is vanity. And then in another verse, he'll say, yeah, go after it. And I think Drew hit on that last week. But in verse 18, it says, Behold, I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given, um, given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and, and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. For he will for he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. So he's saying, yeah, the, the, the things of this world, they're, they're, they're not the problem. And, and God gave them to enjoy and we should enjoy. And there can be Great, there can be great joy when we kind of live in the moment, when we live and we're content with what God's given, and we're we're happy with the lot that you know the lot of your life. Um, and so, so, so think about the things that you you find yourself um, having a tendency to to obsess over, or to struggle with, or to uh, to be tempted by. And could those things be turned to to be seen as gifts from God? Could that struggle somehow? Could that struggle somehow be um, be seen in the, with the right heart and the right perspective as a gift from God? You think about food. You think about sex. You think about um, adoration, people liking you. I mean, all those things can be beautiful gifts from God. So the gospel, um, as as our loves and our longings are transformed by His love and His longings for us, the gospel puts all these pleasures um, in in the right proper place. And so I think two things can happen. I think both they can become beautiful gifts that God gives us that lead us to worship Him, and they can also the gospel can also help us see when those those things are being turned to lure us away from who He's created us to be. They can be both. They can be seen as God's beautiful gifts and they can be seen as luring temptations. Tempting us to, to, to walk away from and chase after something that God never intended. And so I, I, believe, there, I believe everything created, everything that was made, was created to, so that we would worship Him. And so the Gospel, this is why I believe... And so God sent Jesus to redeem and restore us back into a right relationship with Him so that we could in, enjoy Him forever and then represent Him uh, to this world. To enjoy Him and represent Him. So everything God, God gave, I believe, is, can be a gift from God, can be, can be seen and can be, um, 
turned around and, and helps us worship Him. So the truth of the gospel recalibrates our, our loves and our longings and what's important to us and what's good and what's pleasurable and what's enjoyable. It kind of recalibrates those things to, to find, into that right, proper place. Gift or temptation. So the goal, uh, here, here in a moment, okay, we're going to have worship. And so uh, we're going to spend some time just praising God and singing to Him. Um, but I want you to think about this, okay? The goal is not to, to love life's pleasures less. The goal is to love God more. And so, when, when, this is what happens, I believe. This is what Colossians 3, I believe, is talking about. Um, when we love Jesus, when our eyes are fixed on Him, then the things of this world come in their right proper focus and proper place. And so the goal isn't to love those things less. It's, it's to love Him more. As we love Him more, the, the shimmer and the lure of the things of this world, they, they, they lose their, their power. And, and then they, they can be seen as for what they are given, as gifts that, that lead us to worship. And so as those that are coming to lead, whoever they are, um, they're going to start making their way up and they're going to start getting ready. And uh, we're going to kind of dim the lights. And, and um, I want to give you just a few minutes, maybe two, three minutes, just to reflect on what, what kinds of things uh, that God may be pointing you to. What, um, what, are some, what are some some end goals? What are some things that you're after? What are some things that... That are, that are tempting you and leading you away. And um, maybe write those things down and spend some time talking to God about them. Okay, let me pray and then I'll let you guys reflect and then they'll get ready. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for um, just the challenge of this book in our life to give us a perspective on life that, that puts everything in proper, proper place helps us see you, helps us see the things of this world, helps us realize, um, God, it's, this world is fleeting, and, and we don't have control of it. It doesn't have, matter how much medicine we take. It doesn't matter how, much, how healthy we think we are. We could, Lord, God, it could end tonight. And so there is nothing in this world, whether it's in, in going for it and enjoying anything and everything, to its nth degree, or, or, or trying to be good and trying to do everything perfect. None of it controls this life. You are in control. So God, I just thank you um, for the reminder, and I pray that it leads us back to you and gives us a perspective about the things that we're doing uh, that, uh, that just gives us wisdom on how to live this world, live this life for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Whenever you guys are ready. Alright, so this first song, I'd like